Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. You know, I'm a self-proclaimed psychotherapist, whatever that is. But uh, thanks for listening. And I'm uh, really excited to be here today. I have this like really major, like a really, I can't believe he's on the show for the third time. I think like, uh, so like he's really, really talented and really, really successful. And he's actually been willing to be on my show three times, which is like a magic, like this is overwhelming for me. It's Mike Kaplan. Hi, Mike. Hang, uh, hi, I, I, was, I got so excited as well from that uh, <laughs> lovely, generous uh, introduction. I started to say hi and thanks at the same time. And so I said, thanks. And so I think I think that can set us both at ease a little bit. Uh, at oh, least I'm naming oh, for it to be for me. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I love talking to you. I'm happy I'm to return. So glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hi. So anyway, before we get to Mike. I just got to, I got to plug a few things. You know how it is. I do. Yeah. So, um, guys, listen, first of all, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. It's an independent listener supported radio. That means that you have to support it. Okay. Because it's listener supported. So please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and check us out. We love money. I mean, we need money desperately. Okay. We do. But even if you just support us by signing up for our newsletter or even just adding to uh, the people that visited our website, I mean, we that's good. That's good, too. Uh, we're also having a birthday party, an anniversary, eighth, eighth anniversary. Oh, happy Can birthday. Can you believe that? Wow. I've been, I'm a founding. I've been doing the show eight years. My goodness. So anyway, uh, it's uh, May 13th at uh, Sleepwalk, uh, which is a bar here in, in Bushwick. Uh, they'll, you know, whatever. There'll be more about that. Um, but I also want to tell you about, uh, come see uh, the band, the duo, Movie Club. Have you heard of Movie Club, Mike? Uh, I'm not sure if I have, so I'm happy to hear more. Oh, okay. Well, they're uh, we're proud. Radio Free Brooklyn is. Same. We're all very. You're proud too. I'm proud as well. Don't you feel good about this? It feels great. I know. <laughs> so, Radio Free Brooklyn is proud to present Movie Club at Come On Everybody. Come On. That's the name of the place. Three twenty five Franklin Avenue in Brooklyn, May seventh. Internationally acclaimed psych rock duo movie club will be presenting Uncovering the 90s, the good, the bad, and like whatever, a combination live reading discussion musical. Camilla, joined by Pulitzer Prize winning author Camilla Perry, in addition to some very So, uh, more information go to Movie Club the Band. Go to that. That sounds good. Sounds great. Okay, so we got we're gonna we're gonna talk about Mike, or we're gonna talk to Mike. I'll talk. We'll talk about Mike also. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm gonna t- I have to I'm gonna tell them about you in case they don't know. I accept. <laughs> in case you don't know who Mike Kaplan is, and if you don't, you should do your own fucking research. Look it up. <laughs> MikeKaplan.com. That's M Y Q K A P L A N. But if you if you're you know, really out of it and you don't know anything, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, okay, I'll tell you really fast because Mike's interesting. We'd rather talk than talk about him, but, uh, he's appeared on the tonight show, Conan Letterman, James Corden, Seth Meyers, Comedy Central, last comics, America's got talent, one hour special, two podcast album, uh, 
his album Vega Mymel top 10 comedy albums newest newest album sort of newest album debuted at number 1 and called invigoratingly funny by the New York Times this guy has like all these credentials and shit like that and you don't need me to just <laughs> I list list it off, off but thank like, you for listing them all <laughs> yeah but also, I found out doing my research on Mike that he's having a show at Union Hall on June 1st. It's true. Um, called Imperfect, and it's because he's preparing for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is very exciting. You know what that is? It's like you go to Edinburgh, you're in this festival perform every day for like a month. It's incredible. So go check that out. And he also has a new album that's streaming on all the platforms Spotify, all that stuff. You can listen to it. At, it's called Live in Between Albums. Yes. So was that? That's pretty silly. Uh, it is silly. I'll, do you want me to briefly explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so in 2016, I recorded uh, an album called No Kidding, which is all about how I don't want kids. And so that was like the first more. I, I'm a stand up comedian and not all of my albums are, you know, not all of the hours of comedy I create are cohesive and, you know, structured around a, a central topic. But sure. some of them are. I st- and so that was the first one that really was. And then in 2020, uh, the album that, uh, as you kindly mentioned, the New York Times called invigoratingly funny. That album's called AKA, which is short for all killing aside. And the, <laughs> the themes of that album are uh, love, compassion and not murdering. Big not murdering mm-hmm. fan. So the 2016 recording was no kidding don't want more people in the world and then aka don't don't want people murdered so i don't want fewer people in the world either so i just want i'm good with the number of people in the world as we speak and all that said in the meantime over the years between those albums i continued to write jokes some of which would feed uh the new themed hour but some of the jokes just didn't end up fitting with either of the themes like i just write and think and say and you know capture the ideas wherever they come from and so i had an hour of ideas of jokes that i thought were fun and i wanted to share but because they didn't fit with either of the themes i did a recording and released an album in 2018 very very narrowly, only to satellite radio. So for the last five years, you could only hear live in between albums on uh, Sirius satellite radio. Mm. But in March of this year, uh, we released it widely. So now it is both my newest and second newest release. So uh, it you know came out for some, for a very few in 2018, but now available to everyone. And that's why it's called Live In Between Albums, because it came from in between uh, the last two major widely released albums. So somebody, I'm guessing somebody got behind this and said, we've got to like put this out somewhere. You know, thank you for, uh, I, I think that number one. Finally, <laughs> somebody woke up is what I'm saying. Finally, somebody was like, fuck, why isn't this out everywhere? You know, here's the thing. Thing. Uh, that's what I love your impression of it. And it's kind of right. And I'm actually kind of the person. Uh, but also my I work with this guy, Dominic Delbeni and uh, his his partner, Jessica Moses. They have a, a record label, a comedy record label called Blonde Medicine. And so they've put out my last several albums. They, they're very kind people and uh, very helpful people who know what they're doing in this space. And so the reason that we released it first, only exclusively 
exclusively to satellite radio was because there's a channel on satellite radio called Laugh USA that uh, plays only clean comedy content. This album is, in general, completely clean. And so we figured if we gave it to them exclusively, then they would maybe be incentivized to play it more. And they played it a lot, and I'm very grateful that they did. And last year, 2022 now, I recorded a second version, uh, completely different jokes, but I called it Live in Between Albums 2, uh, subtitled Rocky Mountain High, like waving high because I recorded it <laughs> in Denver. And so now that album is playing exclusively on satellite radio. And the fact that now they have that album, we're like, well, they don't, we can now release the, the one that's five years old that most people haven't heard yet. Uh, we were like, yeah, let's get this out there in the world so that because for the past five years, uh, every once in a while, somebody hears it on satellite radio. They send me a message and they're like, where can I get this album? And I'm like, currently, you can't. The, <laughs> you can only get it the way that you've gotten it. Uh, but now for all the people that have been enjoying it and want to in some way uh, grasp it and, quote, have it or own it or be in control as much as anyone can be in control of when you hear my comedy, it is all those places. This is such good news. Thank you. And also, like, you know what I love? I love uh, how uh, as a creative, we're, you know, as creative people, like how how things coming like you're like, oh, I did that. And it, you know, that I felt good about it. But, you know, it got, it got this far. And then like, you never know. That's what's so cool about creative people. And, <laughs> and you make your work and you put it out there and. It's always, it, you know, you never know. And that, I love that. That's a, like a really good story. It's thank you so much. You do never know. And specifically, like I love the thing that I love. One of the things that I love a lot of things about doing comedy. But one of the things I love is that, I mean, the doing of it, you know, yeah. that it is every every night that I go on stage, something new could happen. Uh, you know, it's a new combination, a new confluence of factors of the audience, of the space of me, like the same, even if I tell the same jokes night after night, which which I don't always do exactly the same, but the same the, sa- the same ingredients aren't all present at the same time. So it's always something new and exciting. And so just getting to do it and then getting to create an hour of comedy that I enjoy doing and then getting to record it, then I feel like everything after the recording part, like I've already done it and it's now it's bonus, but now potentially hundreds, thousands, millions of people can listen to the tracks as they exist in perpetuity. Like, you know, and probably, I don't know, maybe I'll live forever. But in case I don't, uh, you know, the these uh, the albums, the tracks, the recordings will continue to potentially be heard. Like maybe, you know, like in the movie Contact, maybe they'll be sent throughout the universe. Maybe there are aliens listening to the sound waves as well and learning English from uh, maybe not just my comedy, maybe just my comedy. I can't say for sure. But yeah, that through all of space and time, you know, it it exists. This These vibrations exist. And uh, and also it's nice that pe- so I'm happy if people listen so um you know you made another point that i want to point out to creative people is how important loving the process Mm, is mm -hmm. and i i believe that myself and i you know and i make a lot of visual art a lot of times people that make visual art are worried about the outcome more than you know whatever but because you're creating a something that lasts supposedly oh yeah something static but it's the process. I don't care what you're making. Mike loves the process. He loves every minute of it. And when, well, maybe not every minute. Every but. minute. You're correct. Maybe there's a few seconds every minute, oh, but every on. minute, the majority, yeah, most minutes, many minutes. But I love. There's got to be some slog <laughs> and discipline in it. Come there, on. there definitely is. I will say also just sort of to, 
to piggyback on what you're saying, uh, when I was 11, when I was a young child, I uh-huh. was a visual artist first. Uh-huh. I was, I, mean, I was also, I was a musician. My parents were music teachers. I was playing the violin from when I was four. That felt like a job at the time. That felt, I, I wasn't choosing to do it. I wasn't loving music yet. Like I, I do now. I, lo- I love playing music, making music, recording music. Just, it's a beautiful, like music. Big, big fan of music. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <clears throat> but that, a, as a child, that didn't feel like my creation of passion because it was something that I was sort of, it was mandatory for me. But mm. art, you know, cre- like drawing, drawing yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. I had a friend, mm. we just drew and drew and drew and created a book called The Everything Book. And it was just full of just everything, mostly monsters, but a lot of things. <laughs> and that I, I loved, I was, you know, by some, I had a small class. I was in a class with like 20 kids, but at, for a time, like they said like, oh, you're like the artist of the class. Like you're, yeah. you know, and so I, I felt, val- I felt yeah, validated. that's your role. And then eventually I, I stopped drawing as much because I didn't enjoy it as much and mm. because I felt like I wasn't getting better. Maybe I would have gotten better if I kept doing it, maybe. But at a certain point it became work. And so I went to this summer camp called Bucks Rock, which is a, a wonderful, magical place that I spent all of my teenage years mm. and some into my 20s uh, being a counselor. Mm. but be- And the whole purpose there is that it's process over product. That's the idea. It's process over product. Like, you know, they put on performances. Like, you can, of course, make things. You can make things in the painting studio or woodworking or glass blowing. You can make physical things. But I I played music more and I eventually did. They have a comedy department there as well. And there I was became more of a performer. I was a writer and a performer, mm-hmm. but... Went from when I was eleven, every the first four years I was there, I made a painting. In part because when if you went and started drawing, the painting counselors would be like, "Oh, you want to turn that drawing into a painting?" Like drawing itself seemed like a stepping stone to them, like at a, least to some. They're like, "Oh yeah, you want to mm-hmm. draw, but really, mm-hmm. painting—that's the show, you know. Yeah, right, that's right, what right, you want right, to do." Right. But I was like, I kind of like drawing more than painting. Like yeah. I wasn't as familiar with painting. Like maybe I'd like it now, but at the time, I was like, "Okay, I'll I'll do what you say." The authorities, you know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that I could advocate for myself and listen to myself, even though that was the whole purpose of the camp. It was founded by a man and a woman. He had studied mm-hmm. with Maria Montessori. Specifically, oh, wow. you could just nine to 12, two to six, go wherever, do mm-hmm. whatever. You don't have, mm-hmm. there was no assignments, but it felt like I was being assigned. I was like, and I had the idea that at the end of the summer, well, at least I'll have a painting. I'll have something to show for my time. You know, that that idea. But I really didn't love. I was like, OK, let's like time to make the paintings. Like, OK, I made the painting. Now I have a painting. Now I can go and have the rest of the fun that I want to have, like, you know, playing with my friends and writing and making music, which at the time they didn't have a recording studio yet, which they eventually would. And I would have loved that if they had that when I was. But so which I'm glad that I love now. Now we all have recording studios in our pockets anyway <laughs> the point is that i i myself and i feel like a lot of people like we think about like oh it's important to have you know i don't know the diploma or the certificate yeah. or the degree or the marriage or the the license or whatever it is that we will sometimes sacrifice you know our time and our enjoyment and be like oh well you know i'll i'll have i'll have fun when i'm dead you know i'll mm-hmm. i'll when i retire you know i'll 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 just work for 45 years i'll work hard and not enjoy it and then eventually I can read a book and die. <laughs> but I recommend reading uh, while you're alive. <laughs> See, that, that's a, but you know what's funny? I'm going to say that you learned something about process from that camp that you were just telling me that you didn't like that process. And you, <laughs> and you actually right. learned that you need to advocate, know what you like. You found out what you didn't like. 
That sucks. Ab- oh, absolutely. I mean, all it cost me was, you know, I, I wonder how long I worked on those four paintings. Probably, oh, you know, paintings. yeah, just w- one each summer for the first four Were years I was there. Oil or acrylic? Uh, acrylic. Acrylic and then... Uh, two of them, the the third and the fourth one, they taught me airbrushing as well. Ooh. So it was mostly ac- acrylic, and then, but also, so I have a couple that look cool. But the coolest looking parts of them are like the ones where the art counselors like helped me, like you know, held my hand as I spray the thing. Which you know, that could be how you learn. And if if I wanted to do that, then I would have spent more time learning how to do it. Uh, but I eventually then sort of discovered that I loved music when I started playing, teaching myself guitar, and then. Uh, I thought like it's actually I wonder if it's a thing like, you know, the fact that a physical painting is like, you know, like you said, an artifact, uh, a tangible right. object. They're like, I have this. And yet, of course, the process is still must be enjoyable for you to commit your life to it, commit your hopefully. time to it, hopefully. And but for music, especially I, lo- I mean, now, of course, you can record music. I can record music and I love doing that. But the the most fun is just in the in the doing, in the hearing, in the, you know, put your fingers a place and on, on the neck of this instrument and then put them in a, in a form that you've never done before and be like, oh, what does this sound like? Make a new tuning, make a new thing. But there's yeah. a grind to learning an instrument, isn't there? Oh, to learning it for sure. And yeah. I like so I and that's I'm actually now very grateful that my mother and my father, uh, you Forced know, you. mandated me <laughs> because now it's in my past, you know, right. now now. Right. But yeah, I spent many and, and even when I was when I was learning guitar, I knew like, I don't know if you know, like bar chords are a specific kind of uh, configuration that you put your hand in on the on the guitar where you can like put down your finger across all of the strings very like you have to hold it down hard enough that then you can move it anywhere and you sort of create a new possibility for uh, chord for chords to arise and it it's hard at first for me it was hard and for many people it's hard yeah. because it you have to learn your your finger your muscles have to gain strength you have to be able to do it so at first you just go through the motions and it doesn't sound good it doesn't sound mm. almost like anything but I understood I, by that point I'm like 15 16 I understood I'm like they said just just do it just like which is kind of the same thing for comedy too like if you start doing comedy how do you do well just start doing it just start writing start performing mm-hmm. it might not feel good it might not mm-hmm. sound good but eventually and like what happens eventually like, eventually like you will it's not fake it till you make it it's just do it till you do it you know till, till you're in it yeah. yeah 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 so that's supposed to be that's a, do yeah do the work. That's what we're saying here. I yeah, think that's what we're saying here. That's right, listeners. So here, so here's a peek behind the curtain, please, for all, for all of for all for all the Doctor Lisa listeners. Mm. So normally, normally, this isn't normal. Nothing is normal. Well, uh, often, <laughs> let's put it this way. Sure. Or the other two times I've had Mike on, we, mm. you know, I usually have a few things that I have in mind that would be fun to discuss, and I throw them around. We do a little like spitballing and then we see which one really lands yes. and that's what we go on to but we're gonna do that on air today what do you think i live lo- on air i love it and can i ask you a quick question first sure. do you ever when you talk about and you talk to your dr lisa's listeners do you ever call them dr listeners no but i notice this trend actually i'm kind of like i'm kind of like anti that to be honest fair enough not not the specific no, no, word I that mean, i came up I don't, with yeah no no yeah. i because I've noticed that, um, like Mark Marin, I'll just—that's a good example because classic, it's classic. Yeah. What the fuckers? Yes. Okay. And I realized that, like, from listening to podcasts, that a lot of people are starting to do that, and I started feeling like 
that um, I I'm I'm it I'm not right, <laughs> but it brings to me because I've I'm so ner- I have so many insecurities that it makes me feel like. It's condescending. Maybe I'm projecting, but that's what I'm saying. Fair enough. And I'll I'll just say these two quick things. Number one, I just think it's fun that your name, Lisa, and listener could be portmanteaued Uh, together. You're talking about, oh. Listeners. That's all. Listeners. Yeah. yeah. Listen up, listeners. Listeners. Oh, okay. You know what? I like that because that's that's create. That's like a, okay, I'm writing it down. How do you spell it? Uh, That's a great question. Okay, now I got it. Yeah. Okay, I would say L-I-S-A, Lisa, and then maybe hyphen, and then N-E-R-S, Lisa Nurse. Okay. Um, and also it kind of doubles as sounding like Lisa Nerds, if people are nerds of Lisa. But the the thing is, of course, this has, like, I think a rich history going back to, you know, like, I don't know if this is the first, but Deadheads, you know, fans of The Grateful Dead. And maybe it's, yeah, you're right. maybe it's the fact that, I, I don't know, I, don't, I bet that The Grateful Dead themselves didn't say, hey, what's up, Deadheads? I right. bet that it was fans of theirs right. that sort of... Different. It was self-directed. I love that. And so there is a different thing when if you are like, when you're telling someone else, you are this, as opposed to them saying, no, we are this. And so you're offering this be like, hey, if you if you'd like to identify as such, you're welcome to. But uh, and also just the fact. Thank you for helping me understand that, because now I understand what I thought was obnoxious about it. But I also applaud. You know, I would love it if people wanted to say, yeah, I'm a listen, Lisa nerd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be really flattering. So if you want to call me that, fine, but I'm not going <laughs> to ask you to. However, I may use this uh, the next time I'm trying to get, get my husband to pay attention <laughs> to what I'm saying. Listen up. Yeah, absolutely. Be a listener. Yeah. There, uh, I think so I'm, I'm owning this. I'm owning it. I'm going to use it. I don't know how exactly, but it will be used. Thank yeah. you for that. You've got That's it. That's a gift. Okay. So here's the topics that um, I was thinking we could discuss. And you tell, you, tell, you, get to, you tell me what resonates with you. I'm ready. Okay. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, I listened uh, to the last episode that we did, which was in 20. 20 and it was during the pandemic and um you and your girlfriend Rini how long you guys been together now uh we have now it it will be seven years in June wow and you live together we've been living together six years as of this month and so a lot of that episode wound up talking about um how you and her were you know coping with the pandemic and how you how you, because you're a touring musician, uh, whatever you yeah, are, you're a I'm touring a, performer, absolutely. A comedian, <laughs> and now all of a sudden you guys were home together. And when I was listening to that today, I realized like, fuck, that's like the most fucking mature relationship ever. <laughs> How the fuck did they do that? That's very kind of you to say. And uh, of course, uh, you know, the day to day living of a life is different than the uh, explication thereof. But we do we do feel very fortunate. And maybe I said this the last time we were on that. I know that a lot of people went during the pandemic, if you were living with a partner, uh, you know, there's plenty of people who were living alone that were like, man, I wish I had somebody. There's plenty of people that were living with a partner that were like, man, I wish I were alone. And <laughs> there's this idea that the. Uh, 
I've heard this thing. You know, they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And there's a specific analogy I heard that a great, uh, that distance can be like the wind. Yeah, you yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, and so I do great. feel like our, that it can, you know, for the for the listener who may not remember uh, or wasn't listening well, to that particular episode, the idea that uh, distance can be like the wind fanning a great flame and extinguishing a small one. Right. And that right. closeness, uh, perhaps proximity, could do that as well. For some relationships, it could really uh, highlight and amplify the the challenges of being around someone all the time. And uh, we were very fortunate that, for the most part, you know, we definitely did our, did our part to let each other have the space that we needed uh, yes. at the times that we needed. But also, you know, we, we love each other a lot. And we especially I was just thinking about this recently because, oh, yeah, I just had I had a guest on my podcast yesterday. Uh, it has not come out yet, but it will sometime in the next couple months. And it, uh, a comedian named Noye Brown West. And she told me uh, very generously of her her father's dying, uh, which happened sometime in the past decade, I believe, and how impactful that was in a particular way. Actually, it must have been in her early 20s because she told me that she had been working as a social worker and she was not yet doing comedy. And part of being a social worker was working 80 hours a week and that, you know, and her family is very important to her and they're very close, but she wasn't able to obviously with working 80 hours a week, you can't, sure. that's a lot of time that you can't spend uh, with your family being there. And then, you know, she's, uh, she was very close to her father and, you know, was able to be there with him for a time in the end, but realized like, you know, of course it's, it's a very complex thing is like being a social work is very admirable oh, and yeah. uh, very, a service to society. And also though, it's, you know, a balance where you want to make sure that you're not sacrificing all of your own, all of your own needs and time uh, and your, you know, your connection with your family and so just whenever I hear a story like that and that specifically which I just heard yesterday uh, I think about how and my grandmother died three years ago and she was 91 which was uh, you know a, a great yeah. a, a great length of time to be alive these days yeah. and I you know I would I would talk to her at least once a week and I visited uh-huh. her numerous times in but also now what now that she is I can no longer visit her in life while with her being uh, no longer alive like I think oh man like uh, that I can't I can't change as much time as I spent with her, but I can be like, oh, I'm definitely going to, you know, answer the call when my mom, you know, rings. I'm going to while my mom is alive, while my dad is alive, mm-hmm. while and my dad's birthday is actually today. So said, happy yeah. birthday, Mr. Yeah. Kaplan. Happy birthday. And yeah, so I talked to him on the phone. I sent him nice. a long uh, email that I wrote to him this Aww. morning. And yeah, so just uh, it's really valuable and meaningful to like because we never know. We never know. Uh, we, we like they say in Buddhism, uh, like next lifetime guaranteed, but next breath not guaranteed. You know, <laughs> we have these ideas of like I have an idea that I'm going to live to 88, 91, 100, whatever it might be, but I I don't know. You know, none of us knows. None of us, none know. of us can predict what's going to happen tomorrow, and so all we know. Is, so that's that's why. And that that's the framework in which Rini and I, you know, we're like, we have this time. We're here right now. Uh, we're very Living grateful. In the moment. Yeah, we're we're happy to be yeah. together. So um, anyway, I I was imp- I was impressed by that, and also you you guys went through um, the journey of like we were talking about polygamy and, and 
And monogamous, you're monogamous now? We are. We have been monogamous but, for many years. But, but you didn't start out that way and you came to it together. Like you got, I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is it wasn't like, you know, don't like there were. There you, were some, it was there, a bumpy road was, at times. Yes. Yeah, but like it wasn't simple. It wasn't That's just true. like simple folks. That's what I'm trying to say. So one of the things that I was thinking about was, um, and I'm going to I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm gonna say like horrible stereotypes now. Sure. So as a uh, as a guy, mm-hmm. uh, as a white guy, maybe uh, I thought that you were really, you really were like your ego. You had a very healthy ego relationship with your ego, and it came out in the relationship. I think part of the reason this is what I was saying. Think this is what I'm trying to say. What I'm sure. trying to say is, is that I think part of the re- reason your relationship with Rini is, was, will be so successful is because you had a very healthy relationship with your own ego. Like you weren't, you were able to, um, you know, not take her personally and not take anything personally and really like see her, you know, it wasn't. You know what I mean, guys. I don't I, have to go into this. I do. And I mean, if I may add, I, I it's a work in progress, 100%. Like, I don't think that I'm, you know, I, I have, I'm not done. You're not perfect. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thank you. That's the name of the show is Imperfect. And for such reasons. And Rini's, my relationship with Rini and my growth in the relationship, which is uh, a lot of the material uh, in the show that we're bringing to Edinburgh, that she, because it's about our relationship and she is a co creator of our relationship. And of uh, this hour of comedy, like she is a, a con- you know, she has written some of the jokes. Oh, nice. She has contributed uh, oh, direction. Wonderful. Uh, oh yeah. So the fact is that like before I was with her, I mean, I've always, I've always had a healthy ego by which doesn't mean that I had a healthy relationship to my ego. You know, of I, here's yes. a, an analogy that I bring up sometimes. Uh, you might be familiar with the Talmud, the, uh-huh. you know, book of or, you know, containment of Jewish wisdom uh, over the years. And there's a, a story of a rabbi who talked about having two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. One piece of paper says this world was created for you. And the other one says you are nothing but ash and dust. So mm-hmm. one is basically like you're everything. And the other is like you're nothing. And those are both valuable perspectives to take depending like if you're leaning too far down on one side, then be like, remember the other side, you know, get too big ahead. Remember that you're a tiny speck. Get, mm-hmm. get too down on yourself. Remember that from your, you're the center of the universe. Everywhere is the center of the universe. And so the one that you are is the center right now from your perspective. And I be, I was raised by, thankfully, uh, I'm very lucky, loving parents, you know, like obviously yeah. we're, we're yeah. all human beings as far as I know. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know that I, I'm pretty sure that I am one. They, it's possible that everyone else is a divinely enlightened Buddha here to help me, the last person who's not a divinely enlightened Buddha, make my final steps towards divine enlightened Buddhahood. But it's also possible that we're all figuring it out. And, uh, and so I appreciate your, your nodding. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no. no, but, no. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so, my family, my parents, I was an only child and I was an only grandchild. So my parents and my grandparents, they all like doted on me. You know, they were like, they really held their thumb down on the side of the scale that said this world was created for you. Ah. And so that gave me, that gave me a lot of support, a lot of love. And, you know, maybe as 
additionally, as you said, like being a straight, white, cisgender, able-bodied American male, like I'm like, there's a lot of messaging that I've received, you know, over the years, a lot of uh, marination of the idea of like, I have things that are important for people to hear. I have a worthwhile message. And like, even when I started doing comedy, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a ton of life experience that was, you know, as significant as, you know, more than anyone else and definitely less than some people who'd gone through maybe traumatic things or if you were a part of a marginalized community if you are a woman if you are a person mm-hmm. of color if you are a queer person and but I I, d- d- I didn't know about anybody else's experience at the time because I was like me 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 and here I am and then it was actually I feel like comedy in a way not saved my life but really helped shape my life because audiences would be like uh this isn't you know what are you talking about what is this it's like in the beginning you're not this is, why do you think this is good? Why do you think that you are right. funny? It's a very honesty inducing, right. like a self-reflection inducing situation when the audience is basically like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, my grandmother loves me, you know, so is that not enough to get a career in show business? So comedy was humbling. Let's put it that way. Yeah, comedy added the, the side of the scale mm-hmm. and completed that aspect of the yin yang of, you know, this world was created for you. Now, yeah, you are nothing but ash and dust as well. And good for you for putting yourself through that and find and the, but but also I was going to say is yes you had a healthy foundation your secure foundation but I'm also so there's a there is I was also going to say that um you had a a you got married. You had, can I call it a failed marriage? I, I mean, at a young age. I certainly, I have a, I completed so, marriage. A completed <laughs> marriage at a young age, yes. which I think might have, might have helped you in the long run because you got it, you got it over with. That's good. See, here's the, here's some great advice. Get married really, really young. Don't have it last. Go through, get it over with. So that, that might have helped. But I was also wondering if, uh, we don't have to get into this. Let me go through the whole thing. Sure, sure, sure. But anyway, one of the things I was wondering is like if psychedelics have helped you. One billion percent. I I will say before I say that, the thing that you said about my marriage, I've never thought about it in this way. And I'm, I'm taking out my digital recorder to record this idea oh, wow. so that I can also remember it. But uh, are you familiar with Wabi Sabi? You know, the the Japanese sort of art by which like things appear imperfect and that is their beauty you know like like there's a crack in in the glass or the the pot and you're like oh yeah and you don't try to hide it and perfect it you're like that's perfect the way that it is and that you know like the the leonard uh cohen line in anthem there is a crack in everything that's how the light gets in and like that imperfections are beautiful especially uh in a world where people like oh you got to get plastic surgery you got to try to present as perfect you got to have the right instagram filter whatever it might be but so I feel like that same way, like, I, and I was raised to, you know, to achieve and to be the best, whatever that means, uh, at school, at life, at being me, hopefully. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I think that that marriage was in a way like, you know, a crack. Like, well, I can't, I can't say, I can't tell the whole story of my life and be like, everything was quote unquote perfect by everybody's standards because, yeah, by some definitions, people will be like, that was a failed marriage and good. So, so it's like if you're playing baseball and, you know, a perfect game is where the pitcher 
strikes everyone out or everyone gets out and doesn't let up any hits, doesn't let up any runs. And that can be like very stressful. Like by the end, you know, you could, you're getting almost to the end of the game. But if you, if you let up a hit in the beginning, then you can probably relax and like play the rest of the game even better. And probably Mm -hmm. uh, your team will be better Mm -hmm. off and the season will be better off if you're not just trying to be like, this has to be perfect. I also um, don't mind being flip about calling it a failed marriage because you were so young and it kind of like, you know, it's totally understandable. Whereas like, I wouldn't say that for some, to somebody who been married for like 20 years, had three kids and then something got really fucked up. Oh, sure. Can I say this? Do you know the artist uh, slash writer slash teacher named Linda Barry? Sure. Oh yeah. Linda Barry is one of my favorites. And uh, I just realized like she said a thing that I love, which is uh, how old do you have to be to make a bad drawing? Like we never look at a two-year-old's drawing and be like, oh, yeah. you know, hey, what, what would you not go to school? You know, like, yeah, obviously. And that's the way that I look back at like my comedy career. I'm like, oh yeah, when I told jokes in the beginning that didn't make sense, I was a baby, of course. And I feel like my marriage was also like the marriage mm-hmm. of a baby. It was mm-hmm. like, how old do you have to be to have a failed marriage? I was like, it was like a Fisher-Price marriage, you know? <laughs> that's beautiful. But I think it might have helped contri- over the long haul. You went, you probably went through something horrible. I mean, it couldn't have been fun. You probably went through something horrible, which is now helping you. Is oh yeah, I I do hear something, and uh, okay, yeah, I think I think that my marriage did a thing for me, which. A lot of people, like I was just listening to, I love Dan Savage and the yeah. Savage Love cast. And he just had on, uh, I believe, the comedian Mae Martin, a non-binary oh, comedian with a new uh, new special out on Netflix called Sap. And they were both talking about, like Mae was talking about being a child, being a teenager, uh, and having getting the messaging from society of like, oh, if you were assigned female at birth, then this is the what should be your experience. If you were assigned male at birth, this is what should be your experience. And they were like, well, these actually don't match with my experience. So they're lying to me. Something must be wrong. That's incorrect. Like whatever they're saying, like that's not true for me. They learned at a much earlier age. And like Dan had the same experience as a gay man. Like they're like, oh yeah, if you're a man, then you're supposed to feel like this. And he's like, well, that's absolutely not the way that I feel <laughs> because I'm not a straight man. And so I feel... And so they both learned early as like teenagers or perhaps younger that they're like, oh, yeah, my experience is valid for me and doesn't have to match like what the system, what society, what they say. And so for me, for the one of the reasons I got married at, at the age that I did, one reason is that I was living with free housing at Boston University, where I was a re- resident assistant. And my wife and I, my then, you know, then ex-wife or sorry, my fir- now ex-wife, then would be soon wife. Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, that woman, uh, she, who's a very lovely human being. We're still friendly. Oh, nice. Yeah. She's, she's cool. She's a musician. She's also been in comedy and she's great. She's very, I, I love her work. And at the time, uh, we wanted to live together, but we weren't allowed to live together by the uh. rules of the school. So one of the reasons we married, at the time that we did was so that she could move in to the the housing and so that we could have uh, the housing it wasn't like not like a like a green card marriage like we we loved well, each other i mean it, it, but but yeah it wasn't just out of 
the blue. No, no. Th- there was a specific reason why we did it then. If we'd both been living separately, we probably, in a, in a way that we uh, could have just moved in together, we probably would have uh, just moved in together. And yet also, it was the first relationship that I ever had that I wanted to be with somebody for more than a year. And it, it was the only time. And so I, you know, I was like 25 and I'd been in a bunch of relationships that ended after three months or six months. Yeah. And this was, and you know, I'd received the messaging from, you know, from movies and pop culture sure. and, you know, and society that, you know, my parents got married when they were 18 and 21, oh my you God, know, really? yeah, wow. they were, my mom was like, she'd graduated high school early. So she was still, she was a wow. junior in college, but it was, it was young and certainly young by today's standards. And so I wasn't, I was like, oh, it's not like oh, I'm 25. That's way older than 18. But it, the message was that like so many people were getting married in their early 20s, in their mid 20s. And so it didn't seem anomalous to everybody right. else's experience. Right. But uh, and I also I remember having the thought that like, uh, well, this is the first relationship that didn't end and I don't want to end at a year. So I guess this is I guess this is it. I guess this is what this is what they're talking about. When you want <laughs> when you're with somebody for a year and you don't want to stop, then you get married. That's what I thought. And I had, I knew when I was getting married, I'm like, if it doesn't work, I know that divorce is an option. But I, I didn't think that that was going to happen. I was optimistic. My you know ego was powering that relationship as well. But then, you know, a couple of years later and I'm like, oh, actually, when you're when you want to be with somebody at one year, you might not feel the exact same way at three <laughs> years. You might learn more about them. You might learn more about yourself. So that was my experience. That was the moment in my life where I was like, oh, for sure, the system of what people say is the way it should be is not universal and is not applicable to me. So get a divorce under your belt and then you'll have a great relationship uh, after that. That's what we've learned from Mike. So anyway... I can't believe this is um, where. Um, <laughs> so what's know, the next topic? The next yeah. <laughs> topic. We're not. We, you know what? I'm going to say you're going to have to come back for a fourth show. Because I'll happily by the do time it. <laughs> we get to which topic to discuss, but that's totally cool. Oh yeah, we didn't even answer the psychedelic question yet, but yeah. I'll, I'll well, happily we'll come do back it. To that. Yeah. Okay. So I was also like, I don't think we've ever really talked like your relationship with language. Um, if you guys, I actually had this uh, joke that was. I was actually going to try to explain to people why that you're uh, like you're I hate to use this word genius, but you're you're real like you have a sort of a, a magical talent with language and you studied logic linguistics yes. and you have a connection to language that is very unusual. And as an artist, which you are, I think that a big part of your art is your relationship with language. And I, I thought that might be an interesting topic. Absolutely. To t- discuss in depth, which we're not going to. <laughs> but It but, really would be, though. At, oh, man. You, <laughs> listeners, you, you like can't even topic? imagine. what. Oh, man. I could talk for a long time about how I like talking for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, just, I just took this like, so this is like an example of, this is just like a throwaway substack thing mm-hmm. that Mike wrote, but I'm going to read it to you. Oh, guys. sure. Okay. Uh this is this is from that Whitney Houston song. I want to dance with somebody. And Mike's like, do you mean with a specific person or just anyone? And then it says, I want to feel the heat with somebody. Oh, is this a separate request? <laughs> I can't believe it. I didn't mean that to sound like I was doing your stuff. Oh, no. But you get what I'm saying, folks. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, these are really simple things. And Mike just looks into the language 
and uh, has a completely unique take on it. So I thought that would be interesting to discuss. We could go through like, you know, your verbal skills as a kid and like your whole like sure. how that developed and stuff. But we'll do that next time maybe. I love it. Or maybe we'll come back to it because you still got yeah. like 15 minutes left. But yeah. let's go back to the third question that I had in mind. Yeah. Which was looking back on the p- pandemic. So because last time we talked, and I'll post this, we, you know, we talked about the pandemic and I think it was this huge change re- in your life because as a touring comedian, you weren't touring, you were home. And um, I was wondering, like, what effect, because now we can look back on that time. Sure. And what effect did the the pandemic being in the the pandemic experience have for you with comedy? Like, has your view on comedy and touring and all that stuff changed? Um has uh um and has your relationship to how is it how did it wind up in the long run affecting your relationship with Remy? sure so we were so those were i thought those were good topics too. yeah i think that that one uh i'll address at least briefly now uh because now is a particularly uh relevant time because i don't know if i mentioned this to you but uh in one month, I think one month, one month and two days, we, Rini and I, will be moving out of uh, the building that I've lived in since 2015 and that wow. she has shared with me since 2017. And so it's been essentially, you know, the the home of our, the bulk mm. of our relationship. And we found out that our landlord uh, has to do bring the building up to code in ways that will make it uninhabitable for a year because it won't have any heat or hot water. He needs to replace a whole system. And so we found that out about a month ago. And then here's the thing, because we are going to the Edinburgh Fringe Fest. I'm going to be, we're going to be together in the UK from like July 20th till the end of August. And that's like a month and a half that we were already going to be, you know, paying rent over there and paying rent over here. We're like, well, thank, thankfully now we don't have to do that here. And I'm, I'm booked a bunch of shows in California for June. So I'll be from June 9th through the 27th, uh, performing throughout, uh, the San Francisco area and in in LA uh, and you know doing a bunch of shows to also warm up for the Edinburgh Fringe uh, and so that's most of June half of July and all of August and then I have a few other dates that I booked in the DC area and Minneapolis so we're basically going to after we're going to put our stuff in storage on May 29th mm. and then not have a home uh, mm. officially until September when we get back from the Edinburgh Fringe so for uh, May, June, or June, July, and August, we will mm-hmm. be nomads, uh, couch surfers. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Uh, yeah, we'll be you know apartment yeah, surfers for a, sure. Yeah, you know, we have like uh, we have, we we don't have a fold out, but there, we have two couches. So, but you can't sleep next to each other. But understood. Side-wise, we you know if you need to, we appreciate cat, it. Yeah, yeah. like per- we perpendicular. Haha, that's so kind. My my. So we have a number of mm-hmm. friends and family yeah. uh, that have offered us you yeah. know either their spare room or. Or couches uh, or, you know, my mom has her condo that she lives in in New Jersey. She also has a condo that used to be my grandmother's that's in Miami. So if we yeah. want to just live in Miami, we could do that. We have a lot of options, but just right now we're in this liminal space in this uncertainty where we know, you know, we know where we're going to go, what friend we're going to stay with immediately right after. Uh, and we have the basic yeah, shape of it. Sure. But it's also, you know, they say I, for 
first of all. Of course, like the grief of losing a, a loved one is uh, of a different order than the grief of like a relationship ending or the grief of like, you know, losing a home. But they're all, you know, it's not not to compare them by any means or say that it is uh, equivalent. But there is like we are, you know, in a way, uh, in a limited way, mourning the loss uh, or sure. getting ready to mourn the loss of this home that yeah. in addition to the all the the infinite time we spent during the pandemic, uh, we also for the three months before the pandemic, Rini had broken her ankle. So oh she my. we were essentially uh, quarantining or she was by necessity unable to leave the home really at all or hardly leave the bed. And so I was, you know, caring for her in many ways, you know, mm. like uh, cooking, helping and many you know just like being there to care for her in because she like it was in great pain for the first little while and hardly could hardly you know it wanted to not move at all and so but that was good like you know pandemic practice as it turned out and so we we learned that like oh that we can do that but yeah we really you know and Rini also as a child moved a lot like she was just her and her single mom and her mom like went and got different jobs different places she lived lots of places she was homeschooled for a lot of it and spent a lot of time alone but in different places and would make friends and then they would you know she would no longer be able without the internet without social media like there's just friendships and relationships and sometimes belongings like would get things would get lost and so she you know we were doing our best to uh, you know, to figure out what things, that, what are the important things for us that we're going to keep and put in storage? What are we going to put? I'm gl- glad that I have a car that we can at least store some things in and we can put some things in my mom's basement or with friends or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. Uh, but it's, I read this quote the day that we found out that we had to move uh, by G.K. Chesterton, uh, an author, I believe. He said, uh, an adventure is just an inconvenience rightly considered, and an in- and a- an inconvenience is just an adventure wrongly considered. So we are, mm. uh, w- this could be viewed as an inconvenience, but we are striving, I am striving to contextualize it as an adventure that it's not scary, it's exciting, or it's scary, but it's it. A scary in a in a limited way that you know like we we're not going to be uh we're not going to uh have nowhere to live we we have we're grateful to have many opportunities many options and and that we're going to be doing a lot of really fun exciting things we're going to be driving out to see her family in kansas city uh for her birthday next month just next week actually and so we're going to be we're we're used to traveling together and when we're traveling we like you know we live in our car but yeah, the the home that we shared during the pandemic, which will now like no longer specifically mm. be our home, like I guess in some ways to answer your question, you know, the the pan like every every time, every moment, every day, every experience of knowing each other like d- brings us in ways closer and you know, in this is helping us value like we love our home and also we understand that it is a building that, you know, needn't be it and won't be like the the source of our power, you know, of our right. relationship that our home will be where they say home is where the heart is, like we've got two hearts. So we've got, you know, a double home between the two of us. Uh but yeah, the 
And, and so in a way right now, it we're going to be doing the opposite of the pandemic, like pandemic, right. you know, the first several years uh, of lockdown, we're just like, well, we're it's us and it's here. And that is it. We engage with the world outside only through screens and, you know, minimal excursions. But now it's going to be all excursion. Uh, it's going <laughs> to be hilarious. all on the road, all in wow. other places, all outside of this home. And so it couldn't be, you know, more more opposite, but just the same way that, you know, pre-pandemic and now, uh, we love having a home and we love traveling. We love, we love leaving and we love returning. But don't you think that, um, it, I mean, it sounds like having been through the pandemic, it's sort of like you can imagine that how that, that this is going to be fine because of that experience. Oh, a hundred percent. And also I'll say, uh, kind of to answer part of your question that, uh, because I stopped touring, the show that I'm working on that, uh, that Rini and I have created Imperfect that we're bringing to the Edinburgh Fringe, I had started working on it in ways, uh, probably, you know, at least as far back as 2018. Mm. Like, so 2018, like, you know, some of the jokes were starting to form and come together. And I was all, you know, working on another, uh, hour that I actually brought to the Edinburgh Fringe that year, which became mm. the album, AKA, that I recorded in mm. 2019. But, you know, sort of at the same time as I was, putting the finishing touches on that hour, this hour was, I was putting the starting touches on this hour. And, and then when the pandemic began, I didn't have an opportunity to tour with it anymore. So I kind of, I kind of like put it aside. And then once vaccinated in, you know, mid 2021, I remember, uh, having to relearn it because oh. because it had been on a, you know just on the shelf and i was like sure. optimistic that i could but also uncertain and but then i did i feel like it's now even stronger and better than it was before because i've had more time more reflection more relationship more more ability to have it bloom and more ability mm-hmm. to prune it which is an analogy mm-hmm. that uh Rini came up with uh <laughs> for my comedy one. in yeah. general that it goes through blooming and pruning phases and and so now i'm i i I think in the same way, I think there's a nice analogy to now that I know that I could not do it for a year and then be able to re, you know, bring new life to it and do it again. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that the same way. Like we went through, obviously, something uh, incredibly difficult and yeah. traumatic, though. Obviously, we were grateful to be alive and healthy as we are and to have the loved ones that we do uh, have gone through the pandemic as well. Uh, but similarly, yeah, we went through. We went through this thing. We're still going through this thing. And so now perhaps, perhaps the move, I mean, like, it's kind of funny when the pandemic began, we're like, oh no, we're going to have to stay here for however, who knows how long. And now it's like, oh no, (laughs) we're going to have to be anywhere (laughs) except for here for who knows how long. And like, oh yeah, it's kind of just flip sides of the same coin. And we're like, oh yeah, we, we, we did that and we could do that. So now this this is happening. We can do this. That's so funny. Do you have any idea where you're going to be moving to? Or uh, when are you going to figure that out? We we love our neighbor. We live in Park Slope currently, and we have a nice a nice home that we're happy to have. That 
Uh, I'm sure we haven't, you know, we haven't really begun looking in earnest because, uh, you know, we won't need a specific new home until September. And so I, our plan in general is to, you know, let people know that it's happening. And then if anyone is like, oh, I've got a perfect place for you, then we'll, we'll consider your perfect place. But pretty much, you know, you know how New York housing is. Like if you want a place in September, uh, it's hard to start looking for it yeah, in and June. Yeah, in Edinburgh. Yeah. So we, you know, we'll come back. We'll you're again. Make, you're not going to get crazy about it. That's no, that's, thing. that is that's the, the plan is to not and get crazy about it. Anybody out there that might. I'll have a place for Mike and Rini starting in September. Just totally get in touch. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is, that is, that is, that is pretty amazing though. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. And you still have to pack up and do all that shit. We've, it's, yeah, it's, we've it's, begun it's packing. Yeah, it's absolutely. Thing. As you saw, I brought I to, into this very studio, a suitcase that I ah. filled with books that I sold at the Strand that I've been ah. taking, you know, little trips here and there uh-huh. and putting some things in boxes. Rini has uh, numerous uh, items of clothing, body care, uh, fragrances. She's a big, she's a frag head, as they say. Uh, so she's got a couple large containers of those that we're, you know, we're going to store a lot of things and then just figure out what we need. Uh, but yeah, we, she has movers that she's used when she's moved before and they're, they know what they're doing and they'll, they'll move our heavy things. We're lucky. We don't have a lot of furniture. We don't have like a bed frame. We don't have a couch. We just have uh, pretty much like some dressers. So you've got a big adventure coming. That's exciting. We do. You know, um, I, I, um, having, I've been with my husband 22 years or something, but I think we only uh, moved into our first place like 10 years ago. Hmm. And um, we didn't live together. Then I lived at his place for a while in Chelsea. Uh, but I do think getting a new place together is so good for the relationship. It made such a big difference to me that we got the place together totally. and we started it off together. So uh, that's great. I think that's going to be really good. Absolutely. So we only have four minutes left. But yes. The only thing we didn't really get, to, we did kind of get into a little bit is the relationship with language. Let's see if we can do that in like two minutes. Sure. What do you think? I, I'm happy to, I'll, I'll give a, a brief rendition, a survey course. Uh, like, so I, I studied linguistics. I got a master's degree in linguistics at mm-hmm. Boston University uh, at the same time as I was beginning comedy. And so sometimes people ask, you know, so is that did you get into comedy because you love the thing that you do about language or did you get the master's degree because and they're kind of, you know, these intertwining things that I do remember ever since I was a child. Uh, I loved learning how to diagram sentences. I love, like, I heard that Stephen Sondheim once said that, you know, art is the way that uh, humans create order out of chaos. And like that, you know, there's a, a seemingly potentially chaotic world around us. And, you know, art is a way we manage that. Science is a way we manage that. And like language is a is a way that we're like, oh, yeah, like this is one thing. That's another thing. This is called this. This is my name. That's your name. Mm-hmm. And so I remember learning that. I mean, I know, of course, like it's a human constructed system like that language like sounds don't inherently mean something you know like the word chair doesn't uh isn't universally a chair isn't always called that and there's many different kinds of chairs and is a stool a chair is a couch a chair etc but anyway 
uh, it was some, it's something that has always fascinated me. When I learned in second grade that they're like, oh, there's people who are uh, dividing, uh, you know, sort of reality into these manageable chunks for us to, you know, take in and be able to engage with. And then when I learned that linguistics was a field of study when I was in college. So conceptually, the whole idea of language, I wonder if it has to do with your connection to music and sound, too. Because you said something about sound. Absolutely. I mean, so maybe it's that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you my parents, what? I'm yeah. I'm going to have to stop you right now. <laughs> to be because, continued. You know what? Yeah. I forgot. I have something that I have to promote too. Please and, do it. And um, I'm uh, I'm going to be a judge. The Miss Subways contest wow. is tomorrow. The Ooh. Miss Subways <laughs> pageant. And I have to, I you guys have to come. It's going to be so great. It's in Coney Island. Um, and, um, it you know, they, they have the most, diverse group of people who are competing to become the next next miss subways wow it's at eight o'clock in coney island you go to cityreliquary.org and get your tickets and find out all about it and uh thanks for listening to radio free brooklyn i'm here every thursday two to three to find out more about mike go to myqkaplan.com uh, check in on a Substack. Live in between albums is streaming and see him at Union Hall June 1st. Thank you so much. Okay. And thanks. That was great. And next time we're going to talk about psychedelics and your ego and the <laughs> ego and your ego. Okay. I'm I look forward to curious it. curious about that. Of course. Okay. I'm here every Thursday, two to three, over 300 episodes on the archive. Dr. Lisa gives a shit about you. Today, I'm at Testo Northern. Dr. Lisa gives a shit.